You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hello, it's episode 39 of Grow Yourself Up. Today, I'm joined by a guest, Yvonne Smythe. So Yvonne is a conscious parent coach and a child advocate. She's a single mum who co-parents her boys of 12 and 13, and she lives in Northern Ireland. She's particularly passionate about connecting parents with their children and helping them move away from using coercion and control within the parenting relationship. Yvonne offers sessions on Zoom to parents, couples, and even friends who want to be supported together. She also runs workshops on various themes related to conscious parenting. At the moment, she's in a process of finalizing details for a series of workshops aimed specifically at parents of teens, and she's also just launched a community membership called The Heart of Parenting, What Really Matters. And that is actually, um, you can go and join this community and um, test it out until the end of March 2023. So this episode will be released um, halfway through March, I think the 14th of March. And you can go and um, look at Yvonne's work on Instagram. She is um, This Parenting Adventure. So follow along and um, connect with Yvonne. In this episode, we talk a lot about um, how Yvonne grew herself up in motherhood. And there's um, a lot of lovely wisdom about teens and um, consent and how Yvonne is tackling some tricky conversations with her own teenagers and, and nearly teenager. Okay, let's get started. So Yvonne, thank you so much for being here. It's really delightful to have you. Thank you, Kath. It's lovely to be here. Really, really delightful. And should we start off by um, you telling us a bit about your motherhood journey, um, having your children, what it involved for you? Yeah, okay. So I came to motherhood quite late. Um, I always wanted to be a mother. It was kind of like it was in my DNA or in my identity from a very, very young age. Um, and it didn't happen for a long time, not through any technical or medical difficulties, but just because I didn't meet somebody until 
Um, I was 37. So I had my first child at 39 and my second one at 41. So very long awaited children, very much desired children. I remember, you know, there being some fear, obviously, around needing to meet somebody and biological clock ticking and all of that. Yeah. And so incredibly grateful then that I got pregnant so easily and um, both times, which was such a gift. So here were these wonderfully, um, as I said, desired all of my life children. And, um, I, I found it like my pregnancies were pretty easy. There was a couple of scares during them. Actually, the first one, I had a deep vein thrombosis whilst I was pregnant with him. That's so scary. Um, wow. Oh, it was scary. And, and Kath, what was actually really irritating about it was I had had one of those years before, decades before. So I recognized it, but the hospital kept telling me I didn't have one. Um, so it was a big mess. But anyway, so we had that. Wow. The other thing that happened during my pregnancy with him, and actually I was in hospital with, um, because of the deep vein thrombosis. Just before that, sorry, we'd had his 20-week scan, and they told us that his, there was something wrong with his organs, that they were reversed. There's a name for it, I can't remember, but that his heart and his lungs were reversed and in the wrong place. Yeah. And I was waiting to go for a more detailed scan when I was admitted to hospital with this defend thrombosis um, or with, yeah, anyway, what I knew was defend thrombosis. And um, then it turned out in the uh, in the bigger scan that there was nothing wrong with him, but there was all that kind of oh, dreadful. Uh, that sounds absolutely dreadful. And they told you his organs were reversed. I mean. Oh, yeah. And that it was really like, you know, it it was. There was a, a worry about this, about his well-being and whether he was going to make a yeah. term and all this kind of oh, thing. Oh, and stressful. Anyway, it turned out to be rubbish. That complete rubbish. I don't know, but anyway. So anyway, apart from that, I breezed through his pregnancy in particular and I was working the day before I had him. And Wow. Oh, everything was, yeah, exactly. Um, I was induced because I was on blood thinning medication after having, oh, after the had DBT. deep vein thrombosis. I had to be induced because they had to take me off the medication so that I wouldn't bleed to death. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so anyway, all lovely. And then, as I say, we had our second child when he was, when Max was 19 months. So again, um, very, very easy pregnancy. Um, I had emergency cesareans with both of them. They both had breathing difficulties or their heart, not breathing, they weren't breathing. Their heart rate went kind of weird or whatever. So anyway. Oh, they got stressed. Yeah. They got stressed. And, um, but yeah, no, all, all great. And these gorgeous children arrive. And I'm so delighted with myself with each one of them. I mean, I actually remember, I remember so clearly and so vividly when Max, so my firstborn was laid on my chest. After I had him, I had a feeling that I had never had in my life before that I didn't even know existed. And I, and it was a feeling of belonging. It was the feeling for the first time in my entire life up to the age of 49 that I felt I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. 
So that was the journey to kind of having them and, and whatever. And I think when they were younger, um, although I was exhausted, you know, as we all are, sleep deprivation and the, the sheer labor of that's involved in, in two small kids, I was, I was okay. I felt I was doing well. All was good. But Kath, once they developed their own will. Yeah. I started to struggle. <laughs> okay. So was the early period, because having an 18-month-year-old and a new baby, that's a lot. That's really a lot. That is a lot. And actually, Kath, I had no family near me. I had moved to Northern Ireland because that was where my husband was from. And um, I had no friends who lived here and I had no family nearby. They're kind of an hour and 50 minutes away. So I had no village, no village whatsoever. And my husband was he worked in hospitality and he often worked late at night and worked all day Saturday so I would be on my own with these children with no adult sounding boards reference points no, no co-regulation um yeah nothing absolutely nothing and um I I you know I struggled I really did struggle at times I remember sometimes the thought of a Saturday filling me full of dread because my husband would be at work and I would have this long day stretched all the way out in front of me um, with these two kids on my own and no adult. And if I did do anything with them, it was on my own. I brought them to the park on my own or I, and you know, that at, at that young age, the, the kind of, it was like, one of them needed their nappy changed and then the other one did. And then one of them needed to be fed and the other one did. And snacks and naps and sleep. And it just, so much that was really hard, really hard. Um, it's like a hamster wheel of endless, endless tasks. Endless tasks, endless tasks and zero time for me or zero care for me. Nothing. I mean, I didn't. I didn't eat properly. I mean, I, I ended up, um, I had my wedding dress fitting right before I got pregnant with Max because we had planned to get married and then I got pregnant and we postponed it. And when I went back, sort of, he was born in June 2009 and then we were getting married in January 2010. So in August 2009, so three months after I had had him, I went to have a refitting, you know, to get this wedding dress back on. And I had lost three or four inches off my body. At like three months postpartum? Yeah. Wow. So you must have been extremely stressed then and not eating at all. Yeah, I was never at any. I remember eating scrambled eggs and toast occasionally and that was about it. Wow. It was okay, so. Yeah. And so when I kind of look back and think, yeah, there was just, it was all about them and nothing about me. So how have you switched that around actually? Because that's one of the biggest things that we have to kind of, um, come into sort of communication with, because I think our needs, many of us actually didn't really meet our needs that well before children, but it's only once we've had children that it comes into sort of really sharp relief that no one else is going to look after us if we don't. And so how did you kind of even make time for yourself to eat and start tending to yourself? Do you know, I don't really remember there being a kind of a light bulb moment or a, but I think just over, over time, um, I suppose I started to 
appreciate and realize that part of my struggle actually was uh, uh, my my body and my mind and my soul and everything crying out for attention, you know, crying out to tend to me and that actually without tending to myself, I wasn't able to tend to my children and my relationship with my children in the way that I wanted to, in the way that felt, you know, I felt like I wasn't at times being the mother on the outside that I felt on the inside, you know, so the emotional reactivity and losing my cool and all of that sort of stuff. And although there's, you know, a lot of um conditioning and triggers and all of that in there, there was also simply being completely burnt out and depleted, yeah. Yeah. you know, from from not eating and not getting enough sleep. I might like my firstborn didn't sleep through the night until he was probably three as well. Which is incredibly, I mean, sleep deprivation is a form of torture, which um, I don't think we kind of talk enough about how the sleep deprivation is so impactful, but we also don't talk enough about how um, we get fed such an incorrect story of, of infant sleep and, and toddler sleep because my children also didn't sleep through. They slept through a little bit when they were around 18 months, but we also had a very long journey of them not sleeping through. And I mean, they hardly sleep through now and mine are six and a half. So I really, how did you manage that? Um, I don't really know. I think in a haze, in a fog, in a fog, you know, and, um, actually I started after, you know, I went back to work pretty quickly too. I think after my first board, I was working a couple of days a week at six weeks when he was six weeks old. Um, which was a complete mistake. And I didn't do that with my second when I took six months off and just. No, there was no way I was doing any work in that sort of period. But I just, I don't know, I just kept put one foot in front of the other and just kept going, you know, um, as you do. And what called you, um, into your current work? Cause you're, you're a, a conscious parenting coach. What kind of, um, and it's such a, a sort of, for me, that's such a heart centered line of work. What called you into that? How did you kind of know you wanted to do that? And what in your personal life triggered it? What triggered it was my own struggles. You know, like I said, when they were kind of probably like three and four, four and five, you know, that those kind of ages. And I was finding myself being very highly emotionally reactive and using the naughty step and time out and yelling and losing my cool and then hating myself so deeply calf like I was like you're not fit to be a mother you don't deserve to have children you are the worst you know it's just and I and I also thought there was something wrong with me um and you know I, at that time I was you know picking up a lot of the mainstream books and stuff around parenting which are all very which the old stuff it's all very behaviorist yeah. in approach it's very much, how do I get my child to stop doing X? And how do I get my child to do Y? How do I get them to behave? How do I get them to obey? And again, I knew no better. So I was kind of, you know, using the naughty step like Super Nanny told us to do. Um, I was using reward charts or trying to use reward charts. Um, I was using, I remember a thing called, you know, descriptive praise where you like go overboard and praising when they do something like cutting on their shoes or eating their food. And it all felt stupid, cat. Like I made stupid. 
and it didn't feel good inside and it using the timeout did not feel good. The energy that was created in my home around that was horrible. Um, and I knew that it was not right, but I didn't know what else there was or, and then as I would say as luck would have it, but actually as the universe conspired in my favor, as it continues to do all throughout my journey. Yeah. I ended up doing an NLP, um, neuro-linguistic programming practitioner course. At this point, I had left my employment and I was working for myself doing leadership coaching and executive coaching and all of this. Okay. But I did an NLP course and only kind of by accident because somebody that I knew was trialing it in his business, getting a facilitator in to do it. And I knew this guy and he did leadership stuff, whatever too. And I said, yeah, I'll go along and do it. Have knowing nothing about it. And it was there that the huge light bulb went off, which was I learned that we have an unconscious. That was the first time I'd ever heard that term, that, you know, how our unconscious and our programming and conditioning, these words were all new to me. And I suddenly realized there's nothing wrong with me. My emotional reactivity is coming from my conditioning, from my programming. It's there. It's all these programs that are running underneath that are, that are, driving my behavior and that's where it started so that sent me down a rabbit hole of looking at the unconscious and I came across Dr. Shefali conscious parenting and she has been my salvation literally so I read her book the conscious parent and felt equally relieved and equally confronted that's it here you go, hold the mirror up to yourself and do the work. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was a relief, you know, it was like, okay, I can do something. I have to work on me. I've been asking the wrong questions as in, how do I get my child to do X and how do I get them to stop doing Y and, ter- and turn it around and go, why is X and Y bothering so much? And how can I work on me to release myself from the narratives that I'm making up and the stories that I'm layering on their behavior and what I'm meaning it make, you know, the meaning I'm adding to it about them, the meaning that I'm adding to it about me, that I'm a bad mother, all of this. So that was where I started. So really it was my own journey. So I kind of read that book. I listened to all of her, every piece of content I could find on YouTube at that time. That was kind of before podcasts were really such a thing. Um, and I did one of her courses. And can I just say something here? I want to just say to the listeners, what you're describing about em- emotional activity, and you didn't actually use the word rage, but this is, you know, when we experience rage, we often think there's something wrong with us. And because it's there's so much stigma generally about that and about um, female emotion, we shame ourselves so much around it. And I think I really want to highlight for everyone listening that um, what you talked about, about the unconscious, um, we all acting from that. And our rage is a lot about what we learned was safe as a child. And so all those implicit memories in our, in our, in, you know, kind of in our bodies get triggered so much by our children in ways that we would never ever have known about until we had children. And so I had a lot of rage as well. And I really think it's important that we talk about this because, um, we, we can't like de-shame things if we keep them in the dark. So I'm so pleased that you, you know, having rage does not mean there's something wrong with us. 
No, and actually, yes, rage. I felt rage for the first time in my life. I'd never raged as an adult before, never. And that's why I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I had a chemical imbalance in my brain or something. I genuinely thought because I had never raged as an adult ever. And here are these two children that I adored, that I was, that were so long awaited, that were just the most amazing boys. And I would, the rage that would boil up inside of me and overflow scared the shit out of me as well. And yeah. it almost made me think sometimes, you need to be away from these kids. Yes. I also have felt like that at some points. Yeah. And how did you, um, so we, we, do you want to talk a bit about rage? Do you want to talk about where you are now with them? What feels kind of, um, how did you kind of make sense of your, of your rage, of your specific rage story? Because each of our rage stories is a lot about our origin stories, actually. Yeah. Um, I think I made sense of it by realizing that I, you know, the conditioning, the programming, the stories that I had internalized around how children should be and, you know, all the shoulds and all the things that are good and bad and right and wrong. And it wasn't just conscious parenting, but, you know, I kind of, you know, the the whole kind of gentle parenting, responsive parenting, attachment parenting, I kind of dug into all of those places. Yes. And it it wasn't just the kind of conscious parenting element, but it was also learning things like and little mantras that stick with me and have stuck with me for years like all behavior is communication yes like i find that so helpful it's so simple but it's so helpful it's like your child is behaving in a way because that's it's telling you something they feel uncomfortable about something or they feel overpowered or they're just hungry or they're tired or they're bored or they're overstimulated or, you know, and, and, you know, so, so that, and even, you know, things like my child is having a hard time. They're not giving me a hard time. They're having a hard time. But really when I came to understand that whole thing about behavior, all behavior is communication. I think I got that from Gabor Mate, I think. Um, and how, our job is to look beneath the behavior and connect with the struggling child yes. that is there. And I think also for me, a lot of it was about seeing my own struggles in them too and being able to connect to my own inner child through connecting to them as a child and seeing where I did not have my needs met. Yeah. At, um, at times as a child, my needs to feel seen or heard or validated or understood and how, um, you know, I, you know, got to just flip the script on that actually and give to my children. Yeah. What I, what I didn't have. And, you know, you mentioned the word expectations earlier. Yeah, all expectations, the walls of expectations have to crumble <laughs> everywhere. So, you know, I had to create a completely new relationship with the word expectations. I had to, you know, the, uh, yeah, the expectations had to go and an understanding that I feel a lot of the time, Kath, that we have completely unreasonable expectations of children 
We expect them to be able to regulate their emotions when we can't flipping regulate our own. <laughs> no, exactly. I think you're absolutely right, Yvonne. And I love the two uh, mantras that you said, first of all. Thank you for, for highlighting those because I think those are two of the best mantras. Mm. Um, and the, we have completely unrealistic expectations of children and that, that they will, in many cases, behave better than we do, that they will be calmer, better regulated, more able to contain themselves. I mean, literally, many of us cannot contain ourselves. And I think that, um, the, the opportunity to look at how our own unmet needs in our childhood trigger our rage and how we can reparent ourselves through that. I think, in fact, rage is one of the most uh, rich places of um, healing for us in many cases, because we can't just continue to rage and rage and rage. We have to actually kind of alchemize it. And, and, and this is what you're describing, how you did that. And then when did you tra- how did you transition that into your, um, your career? Because it sounds like the richness of your personal life really informed that. Yes, absolutely. So in um, 2000, I was working for myself, as I say, in the kind of leadership and executive coaching space between 2013, I think, and 2018. Um, And then my husband and I separated in 2018. And I had already, I think, at that stage, maybe set up some social media around this parenting thing. And I had it in my head that sometime I maybe, I maybe wanted to segue into coaching parents rather than doing executive and leadership coaching. And our separation was kind of the catalyst for that because I had, um, more kind of healing work to do myself. And I also felt very strongly that I needed to support my children very closely during that transition period. And I didn't want them going into after schools. I didn't want them. I wanted to pick them up from school. And what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be did not fit with working in corporate spaces, you know, and going to driving yeah. two hours somewhere to deliver a full day of training and two hours back. And it just didn't work. And I also didn't feel myself like I was in a place where I wanted to stand in corporate spaces and be in. I just wasn't there. So I decided to um, finish off the corporate work I was doing, which I did, and start on this journey proper of of trying to kind of, you know, make the parent coaching into a business. So that's when I started back in 2013. Uh, no, 2018, sorry. So that's, so I've, and I've been growing it kind of since and doing, you know, different workshops and um, coaching one-to-one and different iterations of that so that's that's where it's come to and now you're doing a lot of work in the teenage space do you want to tell us a bit about that yes that's because my own yes absolutely so obviously my boys now are 12 and almost 14 so I'm in that space myself and you know whilst I might have thought that I had parenting kind of you know not licked but getting there it's a whole new ball game <laughs> it's a whole new ball game and has required me to grow myself up in all sorts of other ways you know all sorts of okay. new ways tell us about that um i suppose there's two things i find one is 
that let like okay, I'm being perfectly honest here. That's what we love. Yes, we love a bit of honesty. Conscious, gentle, responsive, respectful parenting. You know, I've been doing this now for a number of years, as in giving my children choices, listening to their opinions, making them feel seen, seen, heard. But here's the truth. They were still very much in my nest. Okay? They're still very much in my nest, even within that allowance of them to develop themselves. Now they're moving away from the nest a bit, and that's really hard. You know, yeah. they're wanting to individuate, which they are doing. Um, there is almost a part of their brain that wants to be oppose what you are saying just to oppose it, because that's an important part of their rite of passage and transition yeah. at this and their brain development at this period of time. Um, and you know, they're developing their own values even. And some of those values don't fit with mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so even as something as simple as, you know, how they spend their time and, um, you know, gaming is a big thing and particularly for boys, um, or for my boys anyway. So, and that's not something that I value hugely. And like something like reading, I, I'm an avid reader. I've been reading. Since I was a very young child, I've been reading and reading. That's been kind of who I've been my whole life. And I believe it's something that's really good for us and beneficial and teaches us empathy and perspective and language and everything. And my boys have been great readers as well. And now one of them has stopped reading. And it's like, that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. To try not to cajole him into reading because one of my values is reading. Yes. And also you, what you said about, um, there may be a part of him who's just not reading because you love it so much, even though he might really love to read. But the point about what you said about, um, uh, I think you said individuation, but that process of separation, individuation, differentiation that happens so much in the toddler years, then comes around again in the teen years, doesn't in a, in a kind of supersized way. It does. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned toddler because what also comes around, it's like having a toddler brain in a teen body. And this is also where expectations kind of come into play too, because you have, you know, children who look, you know, more mature, who are starting almost to look like adults. Yes. But what's happening in their brain is their brain has gone to mush and their brain is going through such a transition at this period of time that they are more, they're back to being impulsive again. Yeah. Like they would have been as toddlers. And, um, you know, they, they want to do risk, risky and novelty. All of that is a very important part of their development too. So yeah, it's, it's always in some ways like they've gone backwards. You know, their brain is going through this massive reorganization and, um, so I kind of had to learn about that, for example, so that I can have empathy for them. And actually, I talked to them about that. I talked to them about how their brain is literally going through a reorganization. I have explained it to them in the sense of, imagine that you were having your whole house renovated and there were walls coming down and, you know, you don't have access to maybe parts of your home for a period of time and you're living in the middle of it. How frustrating that would be and how stressful that would be and you can't find things because they're not in the places that they usually would be because sometimes like kids can't find the words for things that that they could do before like I can see that 
you know, their, their brains are just in a different place. So, yeah. So, you know, understanding that, um, so, so that's, you know, that, that's, uh, and, and kind of allowing them to kind of step out of your nest a little bit, you know, and, and it's, and there's some grief involved in that as well, Kat, you know, so much grief, so much, you know, grief in that. And if, yeah, and, and having to then, uh, use different kinds of, you know, approaches to maintain and sustain a connection with them, which is very much about um, getting into their world and joining them in their world, less than expecting them to be in, in your world. And if that means looking at TikTok videos and talking to them about all their sorts of, you know, the things that interest them that really don't interest me at all. Yeah. Um, but if I'm not interested in what they're in, it, the fact that they're interested in it and show some, well, then I just lose the connection with them, you know, because I can't just play Lego with them anymore. Then don't play There is no Lego. No, no one cares about Lego anymore. Nobody cares about Lego anymore. Or, and I suppose the other, the other area that I've had to grow myself up hugely in at this stage is around intimacy. And, you know, I grew up in Catholic Ireland, which brings with it, you know, I, and I had no guidance personally. So, I grew up with embarrassment and discomfort and shame around conversations around intimacy or pleasure or um I've also got Irish Catholic background. Yes. So you know where I'm coming from. I know where you're coming from. We had to go to confession. Oh god, yeah. Um and I'm just like, what on earth are we doing to children doing that sort of thing? Anyway, so yes, I understand the Irish Catholic thing. And I think that there's nothing in that about sex being Something pleasurable. Or no, no, it's not to be able to enjoy it. Or no, and and there's no conversation. As I say, I had no guidance, and I ended up when I started my own, you know, road of being in intimate relationships. I had no skills. I felt uncomfortable a lot of the time. I didn't have any language. I didn't know how to ask for my needs to be met. I didn't. I didn't have anything, and I felt really at sea an awful lot of the time. Got myself into lots of situations that would, I would prefer people to avoid getting into. Um, and I do not want my children growing up with any amount of shame around this. I want them to have a whole new conversation. And I also want them to grow up as healthy, masculine, not toxic masculinity. I, 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 I that as far yeah. away from this as possible. So... I have, but again, I talk about how the universe conspires, you know, in my favor. So as it so happened about a year ago or, or last year at some point, I started kind of seeing a lot of baby posts on Instagram or people talking about masculine and feminine energy. And I had seen this before, but I had never really, you know, gone, gone into it. So I, I became really interested in it and I started listening to podcasts and I did a course about masculine and feminine energy. And I then read some books and little did I know at the time that what I did then is kind of needed now with, with my kids. Because what I did in that was I, I de-shamed myself around the whole thing. I, I learned all of this around, about really intimacy being a, a soul connection and the beauty of that soul connection. And I really, I've got to a completely different place personally, Kath, around intimacy and pleasure and, and all of this wonderful, wonderful, um, stuff, stuff is a silly word, but anyway. And as it happens, 
the universe obviously sent me in that direction because now, now my kids are at a place where they're starting to talk about girlfriends and their friends having girlfriends and this and that and the other. And I am able to speak to them without any shame. I am able to have conversations with them where I don't feel uncomfortable and I don't feel embarrassed and I don't feel shame. And I feel very capable of having these types of conversations with them. And yeah, we have had lots of spicy conversations already and they're only 12 and 13. And, you know, they turned around to me and said, Mommy, I love how comfortable we are having these conversations with you, you know? And it's like, that just is like heaven to me. Um, yeah. What a gift. I mean, what a huge gift you're giving them. Yeah. And well done. I mean, that sounds so, um, so beautiful because, um, I imagine some, some people listening will have had experiences of, sex first of all never being talked about or intimacy mm-hmm. never being talked about and it being very shamed and so then um you grow up thinking it's not something to enjoy it's just something to be endured i mean there's so many layers of dysfunction that get layered into that and being able to have um, and then if anything bad happens around it or you get yourself caught in a situation then there's so much shame about that that no one talks about it and i think particularly in the teenage space being really open and honest and having conversations around even advocating for your needs. Like you might want to sleep with someone, but is it actually what you want? Is this going to meet your needs for emotional connection or is this just because this is, you feel peer pressure and having that type of openness around, um, uh, all of it and also getting away from that idea about you shouldn't be having this because you're young. Like that's, their decision in some way. Yes, exactly. And I mean, they're going to learn about stuff anyway. And it doesn't matter how many parental controls you put anywhere. That's, that means nothing in the, in this. They're going to learn about, they're going to learn stuff from peers. They're going to learn stuff from what they see online. They're constantly being bombarded with messages all of the time from everything, from everywhere they're being exposed to anything. Yeah. So I want them to learn this stuff from me. And it's like, so I have to be there and I, and I want them to learn about respect and, you know, I was going to say consent, but I'm kind of moving away from that word consent because it's a very legal term. And to me, the word consent almost still implies doing too. So I've replaced that with mutuality. Okay. So mutuality. What a lovely word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we had a conversation just as an example, but people like examples last week about kissing. Okay. So a very simple conversation. So is it not more about what both people enjoy and it's an exploration and it's, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's like, you know, that that's a very simple thing, but that's, it just shows you they pick this stuff up all over the place and they think that this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. And it's, and you know, it's that performance thing coming in, even at that age, um, and it's like, no, let's talk about what feels good. Let's talk about what feels good yeah. to each person. Let's talk about, um, you know, the, the delight of exploring each other and, you know, the, the, the joy in that and the pleasure in that and the normalcy of that. Like, you know, let's have those conversations. And I know that so many parents find this difficult. Like there's a me of only a few years ago that would have found these conversations difficult. It is really difficult. And I think I love your, the use of the term delight because we can delight in, in the people we want to get to know and, and kind of delight in that exploration. But 
there's n- there's never an exploration of does that do I like that, and does that fit for me? So having that sort of conversation with them where you're modeling that they're important and that they can take time to develop their their own preferences just will ripple across everything in their whole lives. It's so, it's, I find that so touching. Yeah. And I mean, I was able to tell them a personal story, you know, which they, of course, they love, you know, of, of being on a date a couple of years ago and had the most awful, rotten kiss that I had and how I wanted to wash my mouth out after it, you know, and they were rolling yeah. around the place <laughs> laughing. You know? So, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, Yvonne. Um, and, um, and do you specifically offer something to coaching parents of teens? I know you're going to be doing some stuff in schools in Ireland. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm in the process of, of putting the finishing touches to a few workshops that are specifically aimed at parents of teens and particularly aimed at the things that parents of teens struggle with. You know, so the first one is kind of about maintaining your connection and strengthening your connection at these times when your children are literally disappearing into their hoodies and disappearing into their phones and disappearing into their bedrooms. How do you keep connection and don't just accept that, that there's no connection? Cause that's rubbish. You can. So that's kind of the first one. The second one is actually is a how to have difficult conversations with your kids. And it's a coaching too. That's actually a coaching model. Um, and the third one then is, is kind of about raising confident teens. Um, and, you know, raising, raising them so that they keep their self esteem intact and their self worth. And, so I'm putting, I'm put, kind of putting the finishing touches to those at the moment and they're going to be going into some schools. Um, but I'll be delivering those directly as well. So people can watch out for those. Um, yeah, the coming up in the coming one. But yeah. And then obviously one to one coaching as well. And all just to tell, um, you, the, the, all the details for how to contact Yvonne will be in the show notes for this episode. Um, and Yvonne, is there, um, cause I, I love what you said about not, um, uh, assuming that there's going to be no connection because one of the things that I think is so important always as parents is that we remember that we're the ones who are responsible for cultivating the relationship and kind of, um, repairing it and, um, maintaining it. And specifically when they're small, um, you know, that falls a lot to us and it obviously shifts more as they get older. But I love the, how you've highlighted that even as teenagers, when often there is that idea of, oh, well, just let them go to their bedroom, like, We'll disconnect for six years or something and then they'll come back. And really that's the time when they most need us often. Oh, absolutely. And I love what you said there, but oh yeah, they'll come back because I hear people, parents of teens say that all the time. Ah, yeah. You know, you lose them for a few years and they come back. And I'm like, no, I'm not losing them. I refuse to lose them and you don't have to lose them. Yeah. And as you say, they totally need us in this time because they're dealing with so much, um, of their, you know, they're trying to figure out where they belong and where they don't belong. And they're struggling with their own emotions and they're struggling with their own emotion, emotional reactivity and they're struggling with friendships and they're struggling with this old whole new thing of intimacy. And they need us so badly and they may not show it. And we have to not take their eye rolls and their door bangings, which happen in this house and their mood swing personally. Yes. And we just have to go. I, I, mean, I did a post actually on Instagram yesterday where I said, whenever they say, I hate you, it's not I hate you. It's I hate it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, they don't just, and we have to just put our, you know, our resilience suits on and not take the things that they're saying and doing personally and, you know, c- 
communicate with them and listen to them. Oh my God, we need to listen to them. We so need to listen to them. They need a good listening to more than anything. Yeah. And they need to be able to share anything that they want with us. And we're not going to go off the deep end or, um, criticize them or judge them or, and that's why I say one of these workshops is about having those difficult conversations. If you try, if you find your child vaping or they tell you that this has happened or whatever, it's how to actually have a really connected conversation with them that actually use that as an opportunity to strengthen your bond with them rather than create disconnection. Yeah. Because it's so easy when our own shame is triggered or when we have a panic about, oh my God, what's happening here? It's so easy to then go into control or shouting or trying to kind of exert something on them that we think. And I think that's even true for little children. So yes. Yeah. I really love that point. Um, is there any sort of message, um, that you want to give any, um, any of the parents or kind of teenage parents listening? You can get through this. You will get through this. <laughs> it's a phase. Everything is a phase. Whatever phase you're in, whether it's not sleeping through the night or not potty training or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever they're going through, it, it's a phase. And, and none of it means that you're a bad parent either. Whatever you are seeing in your child, whatever behavior, whether it's unresourceful or they don't seem to be at the milestone that you think that, you know, they're supposed to be at or they don't behave like somebody else's children or, no, you're not a bad parent. Ditch all of those messages, please. And also the comparison, I agree. Don't compare to, child, to other children. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Yvonne. That was a really, really um, wonderful chat. And um, and people, you can go and follow Yvonne um, on Instagram. She's called This Parenting Adventure. And all the other details of her courses will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.